Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Dickie Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We would like to say thank you for the support of BAE Systems for this episode. I have joining me today, Lamont Christian, and I'm so excited for you to be here with me. And I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Lamont Christian. I go by Chris. I'm a retired command sergeant major from the United States Army. I did 33 years after really traveling with my father. He was also in the military. I was born and raised in New York. I spent most of my childhood in Brooklyn and Queens. And my father, who I call my father, he actually was my stepfather, but I've always called him my father. I even petitioned to get his last name as I grew up. And he married my mother and I when I was probably about 13 or 14. We left New York and moved to North Carolina. And my experience with being a military child began like right away. Was in Fayetteville, North Carolina and went to E.E. Smith and was in the community and pretty much involved in all of the things that a young person would relocating and having that experience of moving from one place to another. Of course, it was a cultural shift for me going from a big city to what was a smaller metropolis at the time. Fayetteville has definitely grown over the years, but I enjoyed really that experience of changing my landscape from, again, a concrete jungle to actually living outdoors. And I learned a lot about not only myself, but really this thing called community. And while living in New York, there was community there, but it was immediate family. In the neighborhood, people would watch out for you, but it wasn't the same that I experienced when I moved to the South. And of course, being in the military community. We lived on base housing for a while, and then we actually lived off post, off the base. And I will tell you again, what really appealed to me even till today is when you drive through a neighborhood or walk through a neighborhood and a total stranger that you might see from time to time waves their hand. And that, I will tell you, out of all of the experiences that I've had living in the South or the Southeast or any part of the country or the world, that's the one experience I always look forward to and it always brings a smile to me. But uh, yeah, I retired after 33 years as a combat infantryman. And I often tell people I've been around the world twice and talked to everybody once. So I'm getting to meet you and talk to you. So I'm slowly but surely working on that number to be complete. I stayed in the community there in South Carolina, and I've been enjoying it ever since, participating in nonprofit organizations to help the community do better and be better. A reserve sheriff's deputy with Richland County Sheriff's Department and just still being part of the community and giving back and continuing to serve. And most importantly, serving those who serve others. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit about yourself. And I can definitely hear the New York (laughs) accent. So I can hear that. And uh, I love that you're first, I should say thank you for your service and thank you for continuing to serve. And I love that you talked about community because I think that's something at least within the the military we do really well is building those networks, those connections in the community. And so I wanted to talk with you about why it's important to talk about mental health and well-being, especially within our military community. First, I want to say thank you for your support. What I will tell you is that mental health, while we recently have begun to focus on it in a way of intentionality of positiveness, it's always been important. 
And the key word is when you talked about community and connections. Uh, we as a society, we're, we're built, we're hardwired to be connected to other people, not to be isolated. And I think uh, the pandemic really amplified the need for connection in many of the different communities. And the military community and first responder are communities built on the backs of people who really want to serve a cause greater than themselves, even though many will tell you it's just a job, uh, I'm only doing it because uh, it's the right thing to do. Um, but deep inside, the realization is that they are helping other people. And it really takes a toll on, on your psyche when you give and give and typically don't find as many opportunities to receive. And the body keeps count. And each time something happens where you have to give or you sacrifice and you do so uh, without any desire for anything in return, it begins to basically empty your cup. And once you've poured everything out of your cup and you've got nothing left, you may turn around and look for someone to fill your cup. And unfortunately, their cup might be empty too. And so, yeah, we recognize now, I think, again, as a society, the importance of being able to take a moment and be what I say, where your feet are at. And I'll talk more about that here shortly. But, you know, be in that moment where you're present. And I think that where we are now is we're having those dialogues and those conversations that bring that to light. And it's no longer just uh, a buzzword. It's now it's time to call to action. What are we actually doing about it? And so I'm excited because I think that as this conversation continues, more people will be put in a position where, once again, it's like you have to do better and be better in order to feel better. I love how you talked about the cup because I use that analogy quite a bit myself about giving from an empty cup because my cup isn't full or my cup is half full. And it's really hard to do that for others around you. And so I think that's important if we think about how can we fill our cup up and continue to fill it up as it's depleted. I know you talk a lot about post-traumatic growth, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners what that is, because I think it's a really important term for us to know. Yeah, Nikki, so often I can go into a room and it could be 10 people, or it could be 100 people. And I'll ask, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic stress? And the entire room, will, they'll raise their hands, sometimes two hands. And then I'll ask the question, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And every single time, one to two hands will go up and maybe a third hand will go halfway up like they've heard about it. And what I'll tell you is that post-traumatic growth is not something new. It's a phrase that has been coined about 25 or 30 years now by Dr. Richard Tedeschi and Dr. Lawrence Calhoun, who began the studies and the evidence-based research to actually discover Believe it or not, they were looking for where does wisdom come from? Wow. And in their search for where wisdom comes from, they came across this pattern of growth that was taking place in groups of people that you would think there's no way that these people would be able to turn their struggle into strength. And so what they discovered was that post-traumatic growth is a transformative process that individuals take really control of their lives in a way that their struggles are turned into their strengths, that their pain is turned into their purpose. And if we sit back and look at those people who have been really through the crucible or the forge in their life, where you would say, there's no way I could fathom going through that. Edith Eager basically telling the members of the SS and 
during the Holocaust that her mother was her mother and not her sister. She was a 10-year-old child and basically said, hey, yeah, that's my mother when asked, who is this woman to you? And she realized in that very moment that she just sentenced her mother to death. But you have Viktor Frankl, who survived the Holocaust. You have Mandy Pfeiffer, whose husband or fiance was killed in the shooting in San Bernardino, California, and her realization that in order for post-traumatic growth to happen, you have to know it exists. You have to be able to wake up and know that it's going to be okay to smile again. It's okay to be happy or to be in a joyful state of mind, even though you may have gone through the worst thing in your life. This process is a journey, and it doesn't have an end destination, but it does have an outcome. And what Dr. Dedeski and Dr. Calhoun also discovered was that through their studies of the POWs that were held in captivity in Vietnam in the prime of their life, they came out of that situation, presidential candidates, uh, politicians in their community, CEOs of companies. And yet everyone had wrote them off saying that when they returned home, that they were going to be less than themselves, a, a mere shell. And yet look how they thrived. Parents who lost their children to disabilities or some tragic death and, and no parent should lay their child to rest. And yet these parents are able to start nonprofit organizations and continue to help people in their community. They are thriving. And what Dr. Dudeski and, and Dr. Calhoun discovered was that these groups of people told them out of their own mouths that there were five areas that they grew in over time. And it wasn't overnight, but it was a continuous process that they went through. And those areas was personal strength, being able to dive deep inside of their own soul and be able to come out of that in a way to be better and do better appreciation for life, as simple as that sounds, not just for the little things, but the big things, deeper relationships where they no longer just looked at a uh, conversation with a loved one or a friend with, oh, the weather is great or the weather's hot, right? It's deeper than that to where they could get to the why, they could get to the what that may be happening in their own lives. Just the mere fact that there was an opportunity for new possibilities, right? I'm going to take this trip that I never went on before, perhaps a proverbial bucket list, right? And then last but not least, spiritual and existential change. When we look at it from that perspective, you begin to ask those questions like, why am I here? Where, where do I belong? Uh, what am I supposed to do? And then when we talk about spiritual change, what he noticed in these people while Faith was a way that many people navigate through their problems in life and the good and bad. What he recognized was spirit was in the sense of that flame in their chest, that focal mm -hmm. point that when their feet hit the ground every day, what am I going to do with this day? And what was my relationship with myself and other people? What was my character like? What was my service to others like? Oh, even again, I come back to you again as an individual, my service to myself. And when he put all of these things together, he recognized that this area or these areas of growth, each individual went through them at their own pace, at their own rate. But these were the five areas that out of their own mouths, these groups of people shared with them that this was the area that they traveled along this journey and this process of becoming better and doing better. Yeah. That's incredible. And when you were speaking, I was thinking about how we talk a lot about trauma and grief going hand in hand. 
with some trauma creates grief and there's a whole process of grieving, right? There's phases that you go through and it's interesting to look at it as one of those phases being that post-traumatic growth at some point where you've gone through that process, but you're in a state of positive thinking where you're, you're in that state of kind of growth and thinking about what comes after the trauma. And so that really made me think about growth mindset. We talk so much about having a fixed mindset, a growth mindset, and we talk about it a lot of times in academia and we talk about it in a lot of like our social and emotional learning. But I was thinking, was that growth mindset an integral part of achieving that post-traumatic growth that you're talking about? And it seems to me like it is part of that. Oh, indeed. One of the things that you look at is in achieving success and post-traumatic growth, any type of growth, it requires you to go through some sort of struggle, right? Because struggle and challenges in life, trauma, however we want to call them, obstacles, grief, right? And when we think about grief, even, and I apologize if I go off track a little bit, but when we think about grief, we often look at grief from the perspective of losing a loved one, close friend, even a pet. But grief comes in many forms when it's something that's out of your control, not getting the promotion you wanted, not getting the job you wanted, going through a divorce, going through a, a breakup, a relationship that had you know gone over the course of years. Like all of these things create that same process of grieving. And so what happens is, in my opinion, as I look at this, we get to take control of what I call the sliders in our life, where we can slide from one mindset to another. An example of that is if my thoughts are negative or my feelings are negative or my actions are negative because one, of course, begets the other. My thoughts might be that I'm depressed or, or not depressed, but I'm not feeling worthy. And then perhaps my feelings are I'm sad or depressed. And then my actions, uh, I isolate, right? So just take those negative thoughts, feelings, and actions, and then say, okay, I want to take control of my life and move the way that my thoughts and my feelings are and my actions are. And so the opposite of that then would wind up being my thoughts are, I actually am worthy. I am a good person. And then my feelings are, I feel good, happy, maybe even joyous. And then lastly, my actions are I'm, I'm out and I'm communicating with people and I'm doing things, I'm volunteering. And so even just in that quick example, you could see where I've taken control of my thoughts, my feelings and actions to be able to get to a place of growth mindset, right? I can mm -hmm. change the way that I'm looking at things and really starting with myself. And that's the important value of being able to really take post-traumatic growth and create what you just described uh, is growth mindset, making that change. Yeah, I think that's really important to think about as well. And just, I love how you said that, the negative thoughts and how that can really affect an entire individual's being, right? Uh, and even those around you. We talk about surrounding yourself with people that are going to lift you up, uh, not people that are bringing you down because that impacts everything. I think that's really important. And I wanted to just highlight something that I read on your website. There's a quote from one of your Warrior Path participants that really hit home for me. And they said, it's hard to fake that you're okay 
when you're getting eaten up by demons every single day. And so I thought about that. I like read it and I thought about how this hits home for so many of our veterans and even our currently serving military members. And I was thinking, is it important to acknowledge that you're having a difficult time? Is that the first step to starting that process of healing is acknowledgement? Because maybe it's one of those things where you can't address the issue if you don't acknowledge that you're going through something. And so what are you, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, you strike a chord with that when you ask, because it's one of those things that what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, you're right. But what I will tell you is, the way that this ongoing cycle of change happens, and this is all part of post-traumatic growth, this roadmap, if you would, to getting there, begins with phases, right? And the first phase, while we may say it has to be acknowledgement, you don't know what you don't know. So it begins with education. And when you begin to learn that these things exist, it can open that door for you to be innately, what we say is curious, right? We're naturally curious. But you can do so in a way that's not interrogating, but it's inquisitive to learn more. And so we'll start with education. Then the next thing would be in that process, of course, you would acknowledge and recognize, wow, that's me. Or those are the things that I'm doing. And then you begin to look at the opportunity to say, OK, how do I create some harmony in my life? Right. We often use the word balance. And what I will tell you is like words mean something to me. And I look at things and connect it to something visual and to make that cognitive connection. And when I hear balance, what I see is a scale where I have to take something from something else in order to give it to something else. And then therefore we wind up taking away. But when I look at harmony, being a musician, I'm a percussionist myself. I recognize that all of the moving parts of an engine or an orchestra, when they work together, not taking something away from one or the other, but they're all working together. You create what I call harmony. And the way that we do that physically is through regulation practices, right? When you get up in the morning, that routine thing that you do that ensures that your day doesn't get thrown out of whack. And you go look for your keys and they're not hanging on the wall or on the table where you put them. Your day is thrown off because that's a regulatory practice. I'll always put my keys here. We get up in the morning and we brush our teeth and wash our face. That's a regulatory practice. If I mess around and I don't have the opportunity to thoroughly wash my face or thoroughly brush my teeth. I, my day is ruined. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be around anyone until I'm able to take care of this regulatory practice of personal hygiene. And that is an example of being able to create that space or what I call a capacity to deal with life. The next thing you would have to look at is being able to go through a process of disclosure like saying something out loud that you normally wouldn't say. And it doesn't always have to be something bad. Like I need to share, I'm going through something terrible in my life. That is a part of disclosure. Um, but this also could be that I want to share something that's great in my life, right? Something I'm very grateful for. And when you practice these things daily, you begin to open up the ability for you to deal with life in a way, what I call metabolizing stress, right? Where you can eat up the stress whether it's good or bad stress, but you can eat up that stress and create the capacity to deal with life when it comes at you. And then, of course, the next thing would be your story, right? Your legacy. How do I change the way that people perceive me? How do I want to be remembered? If I was to pass away today, would I be remembered as that person that was a jerk that nobody wanted to be around? Or would I be that person that everyone would say, you know what? 
this is a guy or a woman that I want to aspire to be like one day because they gave and then they're gone and I wish they were still here. And then last but not least would be your service. Again, you know, we as a people, as a society, naturally want to help other people. Now, granted, there are some bad people out there who make that choice to be that way. But most of us are good people and good people do bad things. But in the community, serving others is always something that gives people a sense of belonging, sense of really just feeling good about themselves when they can just do something for someone else and then that person genuinely appreciates it. But what I will tell you, Nikki, is the one person that we always forget about serving is ourselves. And in a military community, oftentimes we are the last to serve ourselves and we'll look in the mirror and as leaders in our community, we will always be able to tell people, this is what you need to do. Here's a checklist of being perfect and do these 10 things and your life will be great. And then the people we give the advice to run off and they're like, wow, this stuff works. And then that person that gave the checklist, that leader does none of those things. Yep. And then they struggle. We keep that mask on to try to, you know, Hey, I'm still good. But the reality is, I failed to serve myself. And so what I will tell you is post-traumatic growth and the training uh, base that we use in um, providing people the opportunity to face those demons, to come out of those dark places, really focuses on the aspect of taking control of your life in a way that you can set the boundaries, right? Too often we get told what to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you do. But rarely do you get told how. And sometimes that's all I need is just a little roadmap just to get me started. Because obviously, if I knew how to do it, I wouldn't be struggling. <laughs> so uh, sometimes telling me what to do is great. But just give me a little cue of how to do it. And that's what post-traumatic growth training does, right? We talk about what you need to do, uh, but we follow it up with an intense laydown of how you do that. You said so many amazing things. <laughs> you really did. I want to highlight that you said something that was really something that I have been saying to my boys for years as military children is how would you like to be remembered? I think that's so important. I wanted to highlight that because for our military children, we're highly mobile. You're only in a place for a few years at some sometimes. And so I always talk about how to would how would you like to be remembered? What are you giving back into your school, into your community, even as a child, right? And so I think that's important. And then you using the term harmony is very significant instead of balance, because we always talk about balance. And so I like that you talked about there being a harmony and built into that harmony, something that I think we all struggle with our boundaries, our boundaries and establishing those and letting others know what those boundaries are help create that harmony in our life too. So I thought, I was like, gosh, that's really important. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners about the Big Red Barn Retreat and what you do. And I just want everybody to know it's actually a Big Red Barn, I, which I thought was very cool when I went to your website. But tell our listeners what that's about. Yeah, so the Big Red Bar Retreat uh, has been in existence since about 2014, and it was uh, put together by the Irons and Shaw family, uh, Barbara Irons and Sutton Shaw. 
And it was out of, as we talked about earlier, believe it or not, um, a process of grieving. Uh, so Leon Irons um, served in the Navy for about four years and uh, went into the restaurant business and did very well. But he passed away suddenly from cancer, and it was during the grieving process that Barbara Irons started riding horses. Mm-hmm. So the daughter Sutton saw the process of how Barbara was able to come out of her grief of losing a husband. They had been childhood sweethearts. And Sutton then realized at the height of the war that our veteran community and their families needed some sort of help as well. And so they decided to start a nonprofit. And the nonprofit was designed specifically to help veterans and their families find a way to go to a place so that they could find some respite and begin to thrive, just live better. And so through that, it grew started out with yoga, tai chi, equine-assisted uh, therapy, and these were separate services that were provided and programs at no cost to our veterans and their families. And so from that, it grew where she became very interested, she being Sutton. She was the volunteer executive director for years, and she became interested in a program that really brought all of those services together under one philosophy, and that's when she discovered post-traumatic growth through Ken Falk and Josh Goldberg. These are the the guys that co-authored a book called Struggle. And in that book, it spoke specifically about post-traumatic growth and ways to achieve that through personal self-care. And so it was from there that the barn continued to expand. And she brought the post-traumatic growth training program of Warrior Path to South Carolina. And South Carolina is pretty unique in the sense that it's one of the few states that actually has every single branch of service across the spectrum to include elements of the Space Force inside of its borders. And the unique thing there also is that South Carolina and the Midlands, where the Big Red Barn Retreat is located in Blythewood, South Carolina, is actually one of the recipients of the most military-friendly community. And so a lot of the areas that are serviced and supported in that area is a veteran support organization are connected to the things that we do as far as programs and services for our veteran community. That is fantastic. And I love that there is a lot of outdoor activities, it sounds like, too, incorporated into that and how therapeutic that can be for a lot of individuals. I will make sure that we put in our notes the Big Red Barn Retreat. So we'll list that so our listeners can go out and look at that because I think that's amazing. So I would love for you to give our listeners some tips or strategies for finding healing and peace. I know we've been talking about post-traumatic growth and some of the components that, that are part of that, but how do we get to the healing and peace and what are some tips that we could be doing. I know you talked about self-care. I think self-care is huge and that looks different for everyone. So what else could we be doing? Really, that begins the the whole process. And when I talk to people about being in a better place, what I will often say is it starts with your physical connection to being in a better place. And what I mean by that is being where your feet are at. This theme for this conference this week for the MSEC talks about looking backwards, right? It's 25 years and we want to look back at all of the things that we've been able to accomplish for the military child and the education coalition. But here's what I would say. In order for us to really be in a good place, we have to be able to look at life backwards 
but live it going forwards. And Kierkegaard was one of those people that coined that quote that I just said. And when you look at it from that perspective, physically, the way we do that is by being where our feet are at, right? If we, if I could start my day off, one tip that I would give to your listeners would be just sit there for a moment and put both feet down on the ground. And as you feel the ground beneath your feet, you can wiggle your toes and whether you're in your living room or your car or your office, wherever you are right now listening to this podcast, that's where your feet are at. And we call that in the time continuum, the present, right? That's what you have control over this very moment. And when we think about where we were yesterday, we can't feel that beneath our feet. That's in the past. And we have no idea where we'll be a week from now. I might have an idea from planning a vacation or if I have a meeting that's scheduled, of course. But I have no idea what that feels like under my feet, what that room will feel like, what that outdoor place will feel like. I might have an idea because of a past experience. I might have an idea what I think it will feel like. But those two places, we spend more real estate in our brains going over what may happen, might happen, could happen over what shoulda, woulda, coulda happened. And yet we lose the value of being in that place I call a present or being where our feet are at. And we miss an opportunity to enjoy a meal with a family member. We miss an opportunity to really be a part of a conversation with a colleague or a friend. We miss an opportunity to hear somebody who might be crying out for help. We miss that opportunity simply because we're not where our feet are at. And so in the process of healing, I can also be in a place of peace by allowing whatever has happened in my past really make me better, right? Because again, pain, struggle, op op obstacles, trauma, those things are inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And we can choose to continue to suffer after going through things that we've been through, or we can power through that and use that as our superpower, as I call it, and turn my struggle into my strength. And start there. Be where your feet are at. I think that is great to have our listeners think about and, and thinking. And when you said that, I was actually like, feeling my feet beneath the ground where I'm at and I'm feeling grounded. And I, I think it's about thriving, not just surviving. And I, I just think that's really important. And all the things that we can do to get to that point where we're thriving is really important. So I want to just say thank you so much for bringing so much knowledge. I'm making a note of all of the individuals that you talked about so I can go back and do some research myself. So I just have truly enjoyed it. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I hope again that uh, the listeners realize just how important they are uh, to other people, but more importantly, how important they are to themselves. We need them to be in a better place and do better so that they can feel better. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Lamont for his time today as I've so enjoyed our conversation and for being here at our Global Training Summit. Thanks for listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to BAE Systems for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison, and until next time, 
In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.